That is from Friday night when I was watching <laughs> the George Carlin's American Dream documentary on HBO. And tonight is the final. Well, I might do another one because I wanted to do. I wanted to hear from Jason Almy what he thought. Oh, my goodness. This documentary. Uh, it is so important. It is so. It's so fucking real. And I'm going to watch it again because, you know, you watch it and then toward the end, you, I mean, his, his, first of all, they had the real notes of his jokes and how he wrote them. It was brilliant that they did that. Big up to uh, Michael Benfilio and uh, Judd Apatow, the directors. And of course, Kelly Carlin, who was an executive uh, producer uh, uh, along with others. This was, this was an epic last summer epic proportions documentary I, you see very few documentaries where you you learn something like with the cypress hill one i didn't there were certain things i didn't know and i was like whoa okay and same with carlin there was a lot we didn't know there was a lot that he would reveal we knew about his wife brenda we knew you know i i knew from listening to his daughter's book Kelly Carlin's A Carlin Home Companion about losing her, her mother and um, just everything that it, I mean it was it was it was dark it was a, it's oh there's a lot in this documentary the first part it's the beginning then the second part it is uh, him refinding himself reconnecting with this comedian that he first started out as and being called obsolete and being called irrelevant by his peers and the younger peers and realizing, okay, I'll fucking show him. And so that's what he did. That's what he did. And he became this, this, um, juggernaut, became this juggernaut of a, of a comedian. But at the same time, he wasn't just a comedian. He was... He was a truth teller. He was a truth teller, and the truths that he told were very controversial. People people didn't want to accept them, and um, but he told them. You know, he, I, I, you know, he he lost his he lost his his hope in humanity a long time ago, and he told his daughter that, and she says, "Yeah, but I still have to live here." <laughs> So, but this was, um, I, I really, there are certain documentaries, like I said, that you watch and you're kind of like, okay. And I had been waiting for this. You know, it's epic when the trailer is epic. When the trailer of the documentary is epic and, it, and then, because, okay, then the hype begins. Is it going to live up to the expectations? This most certainly lived up. I, it lived up. It was. It was everything it said it was going to be. The trailer did it justice. It made many of us, including myself, you. You got goosebumps. We're like, oh my god, they're finally gonna do it. Because people had done pieces about Carlin before, especially after he died. Larry King did a really great tribute to George Carlin 
and had Jerry Seinfeld and Bill Maher uh, and Kelly Carlin called in and, and just a lot of people that knew him and worked with him. And then that year, George Carlin posthumously received the Mark Twain Prize in Comedy in Washington, D.C. And so everyone gathered and paid tribute. And he posthumously received this award. So here we are. George has been gone for 14 years. Hard to believe that it's that long ago. And yet, a lot of the humor and a lot of the social observations and analyzations that he saw were coming are so relevant. I mean, some of it I could I could play some of it for you, but he does have a bit where he's like, "Oh boy, these conservatives are something, aren't they?" And it's like, "Whoa!" But I remember watching that a long time ago. And then, of course, the seven words you can't say on television. I think the way the the way the country is going now, you're not going to be able. To, I mean, well. You might be able to curse, but then you may not be able to, you know, have certain pursuits. But then he said that he, you know, George Carlin said that early on. He says it in terms of your rights. Okay. And the title of it comes from this. That's right. 
They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table and figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 fucking years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient workers. People who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your social security money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from sooner or later because they own this fucking place it's a big club and you ain't in it you and i are not in the big club by the way it's the same big club they used to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe all day long beating you over the head in their media telling you what to believe what to think and what to buy the table is tilted folks the game is rigged and nobody seems to notice Nobody seems to care. Good, honest, hard-working people, white collar, blue collar, doesn't matter what color shirt you have on. Good, honest, hard-working people continue. These are people of modest means. Continue to elect these rich cocksuckers who don't give a fuck about them. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all, at all, at all. You know? And nobody seems to notice, nobody seems to care. That's what the owners count on, the fact that Americans will probably remain willfully ignorant of the big red, white, and blue dick that's being jammed up their assholes every day. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. And that is George Carlin in his final special in 2008. And that's where the title of the documentary comes from. George Carlin's American Dream. And he says it right there. He says it. That it, right here in the United States is business as usual. And in the early days, he would go after a- advertising executives. Now, his mother, Mary Carlin, was an a- advertising executive. And so she didn't like that. And didn't didn't like it when he went counterculture and he grew his hair out and he grew his beard out and he started smoking pot. Well, he I don't think he'd ever stopped. And he said in the interview, he says, Oh yes, being a very good actress, she says, Oh, but the language and, and because she had run into some nuns that used to teach George. And they're like, Oh no, we like what he's doing and she's like, Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, even even his own mother was like, "Well, the money is ranking in, raking in." Sorry, but see, at the end of it, the sea change that you know, because in the in the early days, he was talking about the seven words. He was talking about the relationship to words, what words mean. Like he said, you know, you couldn't say on television, that guy is an asshole. Uh, But you could say, you've made a perfectly fine ass of yourself. You couldn't say uh, things like that. I mean, it goes all the way back to television. You couldn't say pregnant. When Lucille Ball, you know, her character Lucy Arnaz becomes pregnant, she couldn't even say it. 
It was so sexist. And Desi Arnaz was the one who says, I'm going to be a father. She couldn't say that she was going to be a mother because it was a big, big no-no. Even even in the 60s on Ed Sullivan, you couldn't say pregnant. And Joan Rivers was on pregnant. She said you had to suggest it. Soon you will hear the pitter-patter of little feet. And so what George Carlin and Richard Pryor did is, and Richard Pryor is in the documentary, they took it further than anyone could. Okay? In George Carlin's case, they took it all the way to the Supreme Court with the seven words can't say on television. And then with Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor, I, 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 whenever they say that George is one of the greatest, and I say, yeah, but Richard is there as well because they are these two pillars, Richard Pryor and George Carlin, because they really broke ground. The only difference was is that Richard Pryor, you know, George would do films. He wouldn't do a lot of films until the 80s and 90s. Richard Pryor was doing Superman. He was doing Lady Sings the Blues. So he and he was doing those um, films with Gene Wilder, like Silver Streak and uh, just films like that. So there was a difference, you know. R Richard Richard Pryor was a comedian, but he knew how to play the game in terms of, okay, I'm going to be on television. Where Carlin, it was all his was about this observation of society, and sometimes some people didn't find it funny. But they found it interesting. So here we are. We live in 2021. And the same Supreme Court that had to read off those wonderful seven words you can't say on television are about to take away some rights. But then George Carlin would probably say, what rights? You have no rights. Because we're led to believe we have these rights. Okay. And in the 90s, this this is this is uh, 30. Oh, geez, was this jamming in New York? Um, I think so. Um, this is Carlin talking about abortion, and it rings true. Why? Why? Why is it? that most of the people who are against abortion are people you wouldn't want to fuck in the first place. Boy, these conservatives are really something, aren't they? They're all in favor of the unborn. They will do anything for the unborn. But once you're born, you're on your own. Pro-life conservatives are obsessed with the fetus from conception to nine months. After that, they don't want to know about you. They don't want to hear from you. No nothing. No neonatal care, no daycare, no Head Start, no school lunch, no food stamps, no welfare, no nothing. If you're pre-born, you're fine. If you're preschool, you're fucked. <laughs> Conservatives don't give a shit about you until you reach military age. Then they think you are just fine, just what they've been looking for. Conservatives want live babies so they can raise them to be dead soldiers. Pro-life. Pro-life. 
These people aren't pro-life. They're killing doctors. What kind of pro-life is that? What, they'll do anything they can to save a fetus, but if it grows up to be a doctor, they just might have to kill it? They're not pro-life. You know what they are? They're anti-woman. Simple as it gets. Anti-woman. They don't like them. They don't like women. And so let's pull away because I don't want to play the entire act. Because that, if you want to go and find that, that's every everyone has seen that act. George Carlin talking about abortion. Hitting the nail on the head. This is in the 90s. He was talking about it then. He was talking about it to the day he died. But at the same time, he didn't just leave it. He didn't just throw shit at the conservatives. He threw shit at the liberals as well. Uh, because he saw that both, both had... You know their hands in the cookie jar now according to his daughter kelly carlin mccall he was he was he was he was gunning for hillary he thought hillary should be the next president it this is way before the obama wave and then you know he died in june of 2008 and didn't i think i think he probably foresaw what was going to happen and what happened in 2016, I think he foresaw that, you know, as well. Um, George Carlin always said, you've got a front row ticket to the freak show. So that's always, I always tell that to friends. I said, remember what Carlin said, you've got a fucking front row seat to the freak show. This is the freak show. The freaks, freaks come out at night. No, no, not anymore. The freaks come out because they want to change the dot. They want us to go back to the 50s. They want you to go back to the 50s. When there was segregation, there was no abortion. You had to get a, a back alley abortion for no women's rights. Think of that. Think of that. Think of um, someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg who went to law school and most of the women went there and then married well and that was it. And then they didn't practice law. But she didn't want to do that. She wanted to practice law and then became a Supreme Court justice fighting many of these sex discrimination cases. So you have that. And... Um, you know, I, I know I know a handful of conservatives and the one time we were somewhere and they saw a shirt that said pro-life and pro-gun and they smiled about that. And I didn't say anything, but inside I'm thinking, you're you're proud of that? You're proud of that? That's some fucked up shit. If you're proud of that, you're proud of pro-life and pro-gun, okay. But you know, people take it all the way back to the Bible well there's because there is a lot of killing in the Bible from what I've been told I've never read it this is if if you want to reinform me this is secondhand information to me I've never read it I'm kind of proud that I've never read it because I one time I asked a friend kind of sarcastically and so what's it what's at the back of the Bible is it like the index and they're like no that's the apocalypse. I'm like, oh, great. So rather than an index, there's an apocalypse. <laughs> the end of times. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm very 
lucky that I, I didn't have to read it. I know a lot of people who have to read it, and that's fine. That's what they want to do. Um, but it goes all the way back to uh, your own pursuit and your own ideas and being yourself. And so if anything, that's what we can do in this very polarizing world. And in in this documentary, toward the end, it shows everything. It shows all this, all this current imagery, imagery from social media to billionaires to crooked people who are running the show and you hear George Carlin's comedy throughout it. You hear him as not the soundtrack, but the the power the parable, the allegory that's going on. You hear it, you feel it. And then you get to the moment of uh, what happened in 2008 because he was not well. He had heart condition and um, I've talked about this on this podcast that and I've done research you know and and I know some people who used to do it but when it comes to cocaine that that's gonna mess your heart up it's and then if you continue you're either gonna need not just a bypass you're gonna need a heart transplant okay and so you know yes Carlin was known for that any and he played with it and um, has said that he was high when he did the first SNL in 1975 and um, yeah here we are. This is this is the this is the moment that changed everything. He was the first host. He only I believe he only hosted once. I could be wrong. In fact, last night uh, Saturday Night Live had its finale, and um, I want to give respect to Kate McKinnon who's leaving, Amy Bryant, um, who was the other one. Um, I believe I think Michael Che is leaving too. Uh, who else? You know what I would have liked if they had all kind of gotten their say. Rather, because only you know only Pete Davidson got to say, well and Kate McKinnon, but Michael Che didn't really say much. I think Keenan is leaving too. Um, who else is leaving? It's sad. It's sad. And um, so, yeah, but Carlin, he was the first ever host Saturday Night Live.
nice to see you. Welcome and thanks for joining us live. I'm kind of glad that we're on at night so that we're not competing with all the football and baseball games. So many, man. All the time. And this is the time of year when there's both, you know? Football's kind of nice. They changed it a little bit. They moved the hash marks in. Guys found them and smoked them anyway. <laughs> But you know, football uh, wants to be the national, uh, the number one sport, national pastime. And I think it already is, really, because football represents something we are. We are Europe Junior. <laughs> when you get right down to it, we're Europe Junior. We play the Europe game. What was the Europe game? Let's take their land away from them. <laughs> You'll be the pink in the map, we'll be the blue, and they'll be the green. Ground acquisition, and that's what football is. Football is a ground acquisition game. You knock the crap out of 11 guys and take their land away from them. <laughs> Of course, we only do it 10 yards at a time. That's the way we did it with the Indians, one by little by little. First down in Ohio, Midwest to go. Uh, I, I think it's not surprising that, uh, that football buys and uh, try. Let's put it this way. There are things about the words surrounding football and baseball which give it all away. Football is technological. Baseball is pastoral. <laughs> Football is played in a stadium. Baseball is played in a park. <laughs> in football, you wear a helmet. In baseball, you wear a cap. <laughs> football is played on an enclosed rectangular grid and every one of them is the same size. Baseball is played on an ever-widening angle that reaches to infinity and every park is different. <laughs> Football is rigidly timed. Baseball has no time limit. We don't know when it's gonna end. <laughs> we might even have extra innings. In football, you get a penalty. In baseball, you make an error. Whoops. <laughs> the object in football is to march downfield and penetrate enemy territory and get into the end zone. In baseball, the object is to go home. <laughs> I'm going home. And in football, they have the clip, the hit, the block, the tackle, the blitz, the bomb, the offense, and the defense. In baseball, they have the sacrifice. And so that's the first ever Saturday Night Live from October 11th, 1975. George Carlin was the first host. I wanted to do this show tonight basically as a takeaway from the George Carlin's American Dream, available on HBO, HBO Max. Hopefully the DVD Blu-ray comes out. It was magnificent. It, for me, I... The Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, you know. I love going to concerts. This was like going to a concert for me. I got my food. I sat. I watched it. Now I'm going to be a little honest with you, as I sometimes with my audience. I did take an edible. So then I couldn't finish it because I was like, oh. Because when you do that, your brain goes, and I took half. Boom. Then your brain can't concentrate. And I'm like, Oh, I don't want to forget it. So then I said, okay, I'll, I'll finish it Saturday. Saturday night. 
and then I finished the first half and then the second half. And I told my cousin that I did that. And he says, you did something that Carlin probably would have done. And I thought, oh, great. I was feeling the spirit. And if you listen to Friday night show, I was definitely feeling the spirit. And so that documentary, it, it, for me, it was like going to a concert. You know, you get in your car, you go, you psych yourself up, you get in there. If you can make your way to the uh, merchandise counter. Recently, I've been able to make it. The lines aren't too long. When I saw Tool in January, that line was so long that I said, fuck it. And we waited till after the show. The tour books were gone. I ended up buying one off of eBay, but I bought the shirt. I was happy. That was it. Who cares? But yeah, this was like going to a concert and I watched it. I wait Friday night. It was available. I watched it. You can hear on that video clip how I, I, I really couldn't stop laughing watching the documentary. And then also, I want to give um, pause to Brenda Carlin, George Carlin's first wife, and then Sally Wade, his second wife, for just opening up your stories. And and it really it gave a different shade and different contrast of the man himself. And then Kelly Carlin McCall talking about what really moved her about this documentary was that you get to see her parents' relationship. How in the beginning, she was his press agent. She was his manager. And then when he, you know, became big, that changed. And so she didn't have, she had nothing to do. And so she would stay home and lost herself and, bec- and became addicted to alcohol and eventually got clean and then became you know uh, an AA um, what is it uh, she became a, a helper of it and, and uh, you know helped others get clean and became a sponsor and so she found herself and it I had heard about that story in Kelly Carlin's a Carlin home companion. And so that's beautiful to see is that this woman believed in him when no one else believed in him. He always believed in himself. He always that was his dream was the Danny K dream. He wanted to be like Danny K. He wanted to be in the movies he, and he started out in radio and then boom, he became a comedian. Started out as the hippy dippy weatherman. By the way, the hippy dippy weatherman was stoned, if you didn't know. So he was already working his way. And it wasn't until the end of the 1960s that he became a part of the counterculture because he started to realize what was going on on the college campuses and how that was the that was the voice of the new generation. And he felt akin to them and the language and he himself was actually going to I think he was going to further his education when he was in the Air Force and he never did or they I don't think they'd let him 
And so, you know, we always talk about higher education. George Carlin didn't go to college and yet was so brilliant and knew the ins and outs of words and knew how they fit together. And you have the seven words that you can't say on television. And then you have that that really cool moment. His last special in 2008. I think it's called It's Bad For You. Um, I think it's called Modern Man. And I want to play a little of it for you. Because even at 71, he was still on the top of his game. This is his uh, Modern Man. And we have a wonderful commercial. Oh, YouTube, why are you doing this? I know, because they want me to... It's a bait and switch. They want me to do the premium. Man, man for the millennium. Digital and smoke-free. A diversified, multicultural, postmodern deconstructionist, politically, anatomically, and ecologically incorrect. I've been uplinked and downloaded. I've been inputted and outsourced. I know the upside of downsizing. I know the downside of upgrading. I'm a high-tech lowlife, a cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, bi-coastal multitasker, and I can give you a gigabyte in a nanosecond. I'm new wave, but I'm old school, and my inner child is outward bound. I'm a hot-wired, heat-seeking, warm-hearted, cool customer, voice-activated and biodegradable. I interface with my database, my database is in cyberspace, so I'm interactive, I'm hyperactive, and from time to time, I'm radioactive. Behind the eight ball, ahead of the curve, riding the wave, dodging the bullet, pushing the envelope. I'm on point, on task, on message, and off drugs. I got no need for coke and speed. I got no urge to binge and purge. I'm in the moment, on the edge, over the top, but under the radar. A high-concept, low-profile, medium-range ballistic missionary. A streetwise smart bomb. A top gun bottom feeder. I wear power ties. I tell power lies. I take power naps. I run victory laps. I'm a totally ongoing, bigfoot slam dunk rainmaker with a proactive outreach. A raging workaholic. A working rageaholic. Out of rehab and in denial. I got a personal trainer, a personal shopper, a personal assistant, and a personal agenda. You can't shut me up. You can't dumb me down. Because I'm tireless and I'm wireless. I'm an alpha male on beta blockers. I'm a non-believer and an overachiever, laid back but fashion forward, up front, down home, low rent, high maintenance, supersized, long-lasting, high-definition, fast-acting, oven-ready, and built to last. I'm a hands-on, foot-loose, knee-jerk, head case, prematurely post-traumatic, and I have a love child who sends me hate mail. But I'm feeling, I'm caring, I'm healing, I'm sharing. A supportive, bonding, nurturing, primary caregiver. My output is down, but my income is up. I take a short position on the long bond, and my revenue stream has its own cash flow. I read junk mail, I eat junk food, I buy junk bonds, I watch trash sports. I'm gender-specific, capital-intensive, user-friendly, and lactose intolerant. I like rough sex. I like rough sex. I like tough love. I use the F word in my email, and the software on my hard drive is hardcore, no soft porn. I bought a microwave at a mini mall. I bought a minivan at a mega store. I eat fast food in the slow lane. I'm toll-free, bite-sized, ready to wear, and I come in all sizes. A fully equipped, factory-authorized, hospital-tested, clinically proven, scientifically formulated medical miracle. I've been pre-washed, pre-cooked, pre-heated, pre-screened, pre-approved, pre-packaged, post-dated, freeze-dried, double-wrapped, vacuum-packed, and I have an unlimited broadband capacity. I'm a 
I'm a rude dude, but I'm the real deal. Lean and mean, cocked, locked, and ready to rock. Rough, tough, and hard to bluff. I take it slow, I go with the flow, I ride with the tide, I got glide in my stride. Driving and moving, sailing and spinning, jiving and grooving, wailing and winning. I don't snooze, so I don't lose. I keep the pedal to the metal and the rubber on the road. I party hardy, and lunchtime is crunch time. I'm hanging in, there ain't no doubt, and I'm hanging tough over and out. Woo! That's Modern Man, George Carlin. Um, that was his last special in 2008. It was March of 2008, I believe. Yep, yep. And he died in June of 2008. So maybe he knew... I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. The documentary just it I'll I'll say I'll say this about it. Um What was that final special called though? Let's see. Yeah. It's called It's Bad for You. <laughs> Yep, yep. That was the final one. Um, but uh, yeah, this this documentary, uh, George Carlin's uh, American Dream. It was intense. It was intense for all intense purposes. It was fucking hysterical. It was sad. It was dramatic. It was realism. It was psychoanalytic. It was breaking barriers. It was epic, endless, without uh, any compromises. It was life in the fast lane. So for 40 years, he had he was life in the fast lane, and he never stopped. He never stopped. And the documentary is a highlight. It's a testimony. And it's great for people who don't know who he was, especially the younger generation. The younger generation, when they, they've seen all the memes, okay, that's the thing. They think that, oh, it's a meme. It's not an actual person. And then they're going to learn about George Carlin. And then they're going to learn about the seven words you can't say on television. And then they're going to discover this documentary, George Carlin's American Dream. And they're going to be like, whoa, far out. If they still say that by then. But watching it, you watch it and you think, okay, this is this is for all the future generations who are going to look back and think, whoa. It's like when I used to work um, for a company and they, and, and they were all in their 20s, most of them, and they were getting into Tupac. And one day we were uh, closing up for the night and they were talking about it and, and the, the, the notorious B.I.G. and I said, hey, I remember when they were alive and they looked at me and went, 
what? I said, yeah, I lived through the 90s. I just smiled. And so 100 years from now, someone's probably, or how old will I be by then? Um, 50 years from now, someone's going to approach me and say, do you remember when George Carlin was alive? Yes, I do. He was on Shining Time Station. He had his own show on Fox. He had those endless HBO specials. And my cousin met him on the set of, was it Politically Incorrect? Correct me, please. And he met him, I think, at a book signing. Okay. I know many people who have seen him in concert. We've all followed the jokes, the observational humor. And the other thing is, he wasn't always on. And what I mean by that is, he wasn't always on to be funny. Because there was a moment when he left the stage, that was it. That performance, that is what you got. I think with comedians, we always want them to be funny off stage. Off stage, that was it. It's like it's like um, James Brown. James Brown could not be James Brown off stage. He could be, but in terms of his, you know, the phonetics and the cape and the singing and the the high octane, it belonged on stage. So when a performer leaves stage, as George Carlin did, you just saw that in Modern Man. If he was in real life doing that, people would think, what? They think something's wrong with him. So he was able to save up that residual energy, go on stage and just fire. And, and he liked to do that, you know, like he'd like to set a bomb off on stage when he would tell a really, really provocative joke. And, we, and we're thanking him for it now because it's like, oh, my God. But he saw it. He saw it. People were in denial about it. And that's always the thing. When someone when someone wants to push the envelope, many of us, not myself, but many of us in the culture are in denial. It's like, oh, it's not going to be like that. And now it's like that. So many of us are in denial. It's kind of like Stanley Kubrick. A lot of those films push the envelope. And people were in denial. They couldn't. They couldn't really see it for what it was. They just knew that it scared the shit out of them. They didn't realize that it's psychologically a thriller. It's psychologically designed to fuck with you. And so as I go back to George Carlin and the comedy and the observational humor, he wasn't fucking with you. He was preparing you for all this bullshit that was coming. And so in the spirit of George Carlin, I'll say this because he said this all the time, look out for one another, take care of one another. And also Patty Smith said this one. She says, you know, in the 90s, she says, it's getting harder and harder to tell what's real anymore because the edges of everything are getting so blurred. Could that be a take on AI? I don't know. And so that's what I say to all of you. Be aware, or as the great, well, he's controversial too, but not in my book. As the great Dr. Timothy Leary said, think for yourself and question authority. And that means all authority. 
religious authority, government authority, all authority. As always, unpleasant dreams. And to the makers of George Carlin's American Dream, thank you. <laughs>